Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. Congrats! You found $2 Late Fee, the best 80s movies podcast in the world. We revisit our favorite 80s movies. And sometimes 90s. And soundtracks from our youth. And then we interview our favorite people who help make them. All in the spirit of nostalgic positivity. Thanks for listening. Stop the fight. He could have saved his best friend's life. But now, the one thing he can't do is walk away. He's had one professional fight, and one man is dead. To BP, he's going to have to kill me. You can't win! Rocky Four, rated PG. This has been a long time coming, Dustin. Covering Rocky Four on our show is, I think, when we did our favorite movie sports soundtracks in year one of our podcast, uh, we brought up Rocky Four. We obviously had Vince DiCola on the show soon after that for an epic interview, which to this day he says he he loved coming on the show. And he's coming back, everybody, uh, a week from this episode, we will be dropping our Vince DiCola, Kenny Meredith interview. But today, we're talking about Rocky IV. And when we were spitballing ideas of who we should have on the show, immediately it popped into my head, we need Derek Wayne Johnson on the show. Our buddy Derek, who joined us for Karate Kid, uh, our Karate Kid breakdown, like top Karate Kid moments over almost two years ago now, uh, on our Martial Art Madness episode. He talked about his documentary, uh, John G. Avilton, The King of the Underdogs. And Derek is back with us. Thank you, Derek, for joining us on our show. Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me back. Give you some energy. How's it going, guys? Welcome back. Yes. Thank you. Favorite Thank you. guest, Derek. Oh, <laughs> Seriously, dude. Thank you. You, you guys are too kind. I think at that time when we interviewed you, you said you were either working on a Stallone documentary, a Rocky doc, or you just finished it up, or it was around that time that you were getting ready to drop it. Um, is that correct? I had just edited um, the making of Rocky versus Drago documentary that um, it's kind of a weird story, but or a long story. So basically... Uh, Sly hired me to, excuse me, to edit this documentary directed by his friend, John Hertzfeld. And it was shot on an iPhone of Rocky, <laughs> Rocky, of Sly re-editing Rocky IV during the pandemic. And then uh, put this documentary together. He released it on YouTube and then MGM wanted it. So then they hired me to recut that. And they put it out on their uh, Rocky Four 4K Blu-ray Steelbook. It's the special feature, so that's out right now, actually. Oh, and they also put it on Prime. So this all like just it's just been everywhere. This little documentary 
shot on an iPhone. So that was very interesting to to put together. That's wild. Oh, so some of it's like horizontal and some of it's vertical and some of it's like <laughs> you, you're always. Thank goodness John Hertzfeld shot it horizontal. Okay. Yeah. Good, good work, John Hert- Hertzfeld. Oh my did, God. You didn't use iMovie to edit that, did you? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Probably would have been a lot easier, but uh, no, no. It was, that was really fun because, you know, it's like from 2020 until I guess it was released in 2021, 2022, something like that. Right. I, I was looking at all of this footage that no one knew existed, watching him recut uh, Rocky Four, which, as you guys know, a couple of years ago, he re-released um, Rocky exactly yep. or whatever, you know, the ultimate director's cut or whatever. So that was really neat. I just rewatched Rocky Four, and I have a lot of strong feelings about it. But I started to watch the director's cut as well and noticed, obviously, things in it that I'd never seen before. And it was very cool. Like, I think if you're a fan of the Rocky franchise, it is all those extras, uh, just footage that you wish that you didn't even know existed. It's out there. And he put it in. And that was really cool to see. But you also did another doc, uh, 40 Years of Rocky. It's like a half hour. It's it's a, it's a really interesting documentary because it's it's Stallone, like, looking at old footage, right, of, of the, the first Rocky movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Like, well, first of all, he and I have done like four or five of these things together already. So sometimes I'm like, Oh, right. That one <laughs> it kind of gets jumbled up. So that one, very interesting. Um, it came out in 2020 in the 44th year of Rocky, but we came up with the idea. Actually, he came up with the idea in 2016, which would have been the 40th year, tried to get it released and done at that time things just didn't happen but we already did the paperwork that called it 40 years of rocky looking back i would have renamed it something else if i could have because you know it came out four years late but it's a 30 minute documentary 40 plus four 40 40 plus, yeah. yeah uh 40 years of rocky in parentheses 44 exactly like round 44 or something <laughs> but yeah he, he actually he came up with the idea this is pretty cool I'm at his house. I'm showing him John G. Allison, King of the Underdogs, which he appears in about the director of Rocky. And as the credits are rolling, he comes up the comes up with the idea for 40 years of Rocky. So naturally I said, yeah, I'll do that. And um, we put it together. He narrated it um, in one take, which was very cool. Cool. And um, we put it out. And oddly enough, it was my most successful documentary I've had, and it was only 30 minutes. Speaking for Dustin, I think I that's always promising when something's shorter than, uh, you know, your average <laughs> length. Absolutely. So we know that John G. Alvinson directed Rocky. Uh, we know that Stallone directed uh, two through four. And then John G. came back for Rocky Five. So when we're talking about Rocky Four and the director's cut, we're talking about Stallone's cut. The theatrical release was 91 minutes. The director's cut is 93 minutes. When I saw that, I was like, "Oh, they just added two minutes." Is it? But it's not that, right? It's 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 totally it, it, things have been swapped out entirely in the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's literally it's like two different movies. Uh, the yeah. way that they rearranged things and cut some things out, added some things. But you're right, like the runtime is similar, 
but you get two totally different variations, which I prefer the original. I think most people do. But yeah. as as you said earlier, Zach, like you get to see um, the stuff that we didn't know existed. So to your point or to what you're talking about, Dustin, it's like, wait a second. How is it only two minutes? That's just in the edit, just rearranging things. And he actually fit a lot of stuff in there that, again, we never knew existed, which is Again, I prefer the original, but it's still cool to see. It's cool to know that that's out there. Yeah, and, and what's cool about it too is it's not like Lucas with the Star Wars movies where he CGI'd things and altered things. It's all the footage that was shot back then. He just rearranged it. Music cues are different. That's a big thing, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why I prefer the original um, because, I mean, when we when we get into the meat of this movie – I think that's one of the reasons why watching it now the other day reminded how much I love this movie because of the music piece to it. But it is cool to have as nostalgia and also the fact that he spent all this time doing it and kept it at the 90 minute mark is admirable. Yeah, it is. It is. I have not I have not seen the director's cut clearly as 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 you can tell. Uh because of that reason I wasn't necessarily sure. I'm like uh is the storytelling different? Are we just adding in, you know, two minutes of bonus footage? But that's very intriguing. Well, right, right down to the beginning of the movie, and and I'll just I'll just tease this because may, I'm assuming many people actually probably haven't seen that director's cut, uh, and it's worth getting. You said you only watched two minutes of it, though. Well, no, I watched probably 20, 30 minutes of it. Okay. But the first two minutes of it, the first two minutes of it are, are dramatically different from the original. And I, st- I started watching the director's cut first and then I stopped it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I want to see what the original was because I totally had forgotten how the Rocky Four starts with Eye of the Tiger and picking up where the last one left off. This is very different right down to like omitting Eye of the Tiger, which was a bummer. But again, it's different and it's nice to see just a different take on it. It's Stallone uh, coming to the gym. Apollo arriving as well. And it's just more of them having a discussion about, you know, having the eye of the tiger and, you know, why they're doing what they're doing, basically. But it, but they're not fighting. You know how they spar in the beginning of Rocky Four after the Clubber Lang fight. This is way before that. They're literally just Stallone rolls up in his motorcycle looking super cool. And uh, and Apollo is still re- wearing his, you know, three-piece suit. It's after the first fight with Clubber before the second fight with Clubber. Oh. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's him like kind of getting ready, and then they go into the Clubber-Lang fight, which, you know, iconically, Rocky Four opens with those metal boxing gloves, Russia versus U.S. That's totally taken out. And to me, that's that's jarring. But again, I don't mind, because it's like, look, Rocky Four already exists, and it's not going to sway anybody's opinion, but it is nice to see a different take on it. That's interesting. I think, you know, because we talked with you about this, Derek, the John G. Alvinson is very good with the what we call the previously on with both the Karate Kids and, you know, kind of like catching somebody up. And obviously Stallone does that as well in this. And it gives you like a, you know, sort of a reality show summary or, you know, narrative too. But like in case you missed it, this is a, a quick wrap up of what happened in the previous movie. Uh, really, really fast. I mean, because it's just like it's just essentially boxing. Um, 
And uh, yeah, and so you get a little bit of a recap with Mr. T with the Eye of the, Eye of the Tiger song, as Zach said. Um, and and then we're just, yeah, and then we're just kind of, kind of in the, uh, we're launched into the new direction, the new story of this fourth film. And the shortest one in the franchise, right? Shortest one and most profitable. Yeah. That says a lot. <laughs> it's because it's so short. No. Yeah. I think that has appeal to it because it can play more times on screen, right? At a theater, potentially. It can play yeah. more times. It can make more money. Right. Yep. Well, and, you know, critics, if you watch the making of Rocky versus Drago, the one that was shot on the iPhone, I, I mentioned, um, he talks about when the critics came after him, you know, that it's just one long music video. And he explains why and breaks it down. And he he what's cool about him is he'll like admit where he was feels he was wrong, but he'll also defend when he feels he was right. Right. And um, thank goodness it's like a one long music video because it's awesome. You know, it's really it's cool. perfectly paced, in my opinion. It's perfectly paced. It's it's three 30 minute blocks. And and I hadn't seen Rocky four in probably a decade. And when I sat down the other night, I, I thought, oh, I'll just watch 20, 30 minutes of it after I turn up the director's cut. I ended up watching the entire thing in one sitting because I was so drawn towards it and forgot how well paced it is and how you could easily break this down into three 30-minute episodes. The first 30 minutes is Apollo's story. The second 30 minutes is Rocky and his training. And the final 30 minutes is the fight. You know, it's just it's so concise and so tight and the music cues are brilliant uh, at times and other times I'm like, man, I wish I got a little bit more of that, but he involves the music so much. He's such a musically, he, he gets music to me in a similar way that Michael Mann gets music. Stallone is a musical genius. Let's just say it right now. He's a music, nobody, well, his, his take, brother. Nobody talks about that. They talk about Frank whatever staying alive blah 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 but like uh yeah stallone um no i think the reality is is that when you look at this movie there there really aren't any scenes in it and i think that's what you're talking about no. you're saying it's paced so well because zach you love montages and this is essentially uh 48 minutes of montages i mean yeah and i do not have a problem that's with that. drastic <laughs> but like that's what we're saying and at certain moments it's literally back to back training montages. There's, there's no, you know, when you narrow down uh, how many scenes of people talking are in this, I think there's like four. Like he talks to Apollo, he talks to his son, he talks to Adrian twice. End of, end of movie. He doesn't talk to uh, Brigitte Nielsen at all. And he doesn't talk to Brigitte. He talks to the robot a little bit, but that's kind of included <laughs> in the in the family. You know, Paulie. He does. Oh well, we should bring that up. Uh, so Dustin, the robot has been removed from the director's cut. Oh yeah. no! Yeah, yeah. Think, for timing, for timing, you think is that is that why, Derek? Or timing and or you know just eight two two eighties? No, it's right because because when it's put in there initially, you know, and we're talking uh, what what year is this? 1985. That robot. You know, a lot of us as kids looked at that and was like, I want that robot, right? Like nobody, everyone wanted a robot. Robots were so in in the 80s. Uh, and a robot that you can change the voice and have it bring you, you know, drinks and... Beers and comics. Cigars and whatever. <laughs> um, 
I think we all wanted that. And then, of course, it just looks like dated, you know, in a time of generative AI and <laughs> it just looks That's like true. dated uh, technology and, and kind of silly. It's like the comic relief, Paulie and his robot. The rest of the movie doesn't feel dated. You know, I think everything else is fairly timeless. There's a few uh, uh, costume choices that uh, Rocky's wearing that his his awesome like Lamborghini Ferrari sweater that he has on when he's washing his car. You know, that, that's, a, that's a high neck. But uh, he's, he's got some great sweaters in this, though. I mean, every really sweater does. I'm like that. I would wear that now. I would absolutely wear like anything that he wore in that in that movie. Well, you can. He sells it on his website now. Does he? <laughs> yeah, he does. He has all the Rocky gear, the official Rocky Derek, gear. Derek, somebody's probably giving you some, uh, he's probably giving you a sweater, right? Oh, uh, no. No, no don't. I don't have a sweater. <laughs> but here's a funny sweater story. Since you brought it up, uh, maybe I've told this before, but uh, John Avildsen and I, we were when we were doing King of the Underdogs, naturally he was giving me a lot of photos and stuff to use. We came across one from Rocky Five, and it's Sly wearing that turtleneck sweater, if you remember Rocky Five. And John goes, you know, that's my sweater. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, I never got it back either. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so it just kind of blew my mind. Like the sweater allegedly is John that he's wearing, that Rocky's wearing is John Avildsen's sweater that he never got back. I just thought that was kind of funny. Right. Because what's the circumstance leading to that? Did he pull it off like before a take? He's like, I don't, I just don't like what I'm wearing. John, give me your sweater. I have no idea. Give me your like, sweater. Just, All right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I just was like, what? That's that, so weird. That is, but, that is wild. Yeah. Random trivia. Did you guys check out uh, the little thing I did with James Rolfe called uh, Rocky Climbed a Mountain? I wanted to ask you about that. Have not seen no. it, but can you tell us what you did with, with Rocky Climb? It's, I think it's on YouTube, right? Yeah, I assumed you would you would get to that, but it you, all this Rocky Four talk has me thinking. So uh, James Rolfe, you know the angry video game nerd uh, from Cinemasker, he and I are friends, and he invited me. He said I want to do this thing. It's like a follow up to uh, Rocky jumped a park bench, which he did in like 2008. And uh, he goes, you, do, "Would you want to come with me to Wyoming to hunt for the Rocky Four locations and climb the freaking mountain?" I was like, yeah, of course. So I knew about this for like two years. And he finally, he hit me up. He's like, let's do it. Uh, he had some time to do it. I had some time to do it. So we flew to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we basically looked for all of the Rocky Four locations that we could find because that was Russia. That's where they filmed it, the Russia scenes. And we right. found quite a few of them. And um, may, we may or may not have uh, reached the mountain. You'll have to see. But uh, <laughs> let's just say that um, don't get too excited. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone everyone can watch for themselves. Uh, the links to that will be in our show notes. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was kind of cool to nerd out, uh, you know, and just be like, I mean. Even down to like where one of the Russian guys with the binoculars is like that little, that quick cut of him. Like it's like a, I don't even know what it is. It's like two or three shots of him pulling up his binoculars, watching Rocky train. We found that spot. (laughs) Amazing. Stuff like that. It's just so silly, but we had a good time looking for that. What I love about that is, you know, most people would go, oh, I want to go to golf and stuff where they filmed Karate Kid or, oh, I want to go to, um, 
you know, uh, Wally's World where they filmed National Lampoon's Vacation. And you're like, I want to go climb the mountain that uh, Rocky uh, d- climbed in Rocky Four. That's that's my steez. That's my style. I mean, that's that's James for you. He was like, I don't think anyone's done it. Let's let's go. Let's do it. No, because no one's crazy like that. <laughs> People are like, can I just drive to the place and take a picture of it? You know, people do those things online where they're like, this is where they shot the clock tower. And you're like, well, this is where I climbed a mountain and almost died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It's amazing. Um, let's go back to when you were like a kid and the first time you saw Rocky Four. Do you remember the first time you saw Rocky Four? I do, actually. Um, this is one of those kind of deep dives, but um, my mother borrowed a tape from our neighbor, like a recorded tape, something on TV or whatever. And she watched her movie. And then when it went off, like all of a sudden, the snowy, grainy fight scene from Rocky Four appears for a little bit on screen of the final fight. And I'm just, you know, I was two when the film came out. So this was probably at this moment, I'm probably four or five. And I'm like, what is this? And I just watched like the snowy, grainy end of the fight. Clearly, this neighbor had recorded over Rocky Four, <laughs> and that's where the tape that movie stopped. And then, and I watched it. I was like, "What is this?" So, in my little brain, that was like the first time I ever watched it. But the first time I watched it all the way through, at the local library, they had Rocky One through Four that, that you know you could rent for free. And my grandfather got me into it. He we would always go rent Rocky movies together. And I remember he rented Rocky Four one day and we watched it. And I mean, I was just hooked, you know, like uh I even remember the beginning of that particular tape. There was the trailer for Rocky Five that played on each one. So oh, yeah. clearly was a release to promote, you know, Rocky Five with let's just release one through four. And so, yeah, I, I, those are my distinct memories of the first two times, I guess you could say, that I saw Rocky IV. That's amazing. Dustin, how about you? What was the first time you saw Rocky IV? Well, the Rocky franchise, similar to like the Police Academy franchise, the, 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 more, you, the more you have, the more movies we, we go through, the more cartoony we kind of get. And so, uh, so I feel like Rocky IV was hitting me at that perfect developmental age where I, I don't, I think that may have been the first Rocky I, I saw. I definitely saw it in the theater, uh, I think twice, um, because it was uh, super fun, obviously very relatable time. We've got the Cold War. And just a quick, a quick back, uh, quick pause for anyone, assuming you, you know Rocky Four, otherwise you're not listening to this. But if you, but if you don't, um, you know, it's it's America versus Russia. That's the quickest way to kind of kind of sum it up. But, you know, Rocky is is the champion. He's contemplating, um, you know, he's always contemplating something. Next moves, uneasiness with life. Where do I go from here? Uh, Apollo Creed is, is now his, you know, his best friend, uh, his former his former opponent turned best friend. Apollo Creed is is sort of on the cusp of becoming irrelevant. He is, you know, washed up in everyone's eyes by all, by all accounts. Um, I don't know how old he is in, in boxing terms. I, I feel like he was in his mid to late thirties, probably when he yeah, shot this. That's what I'm assuming. Um, which would put you over the hill, you know, and I guess in boxing, but, uh, 
Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren shows up. Doesn't doesn't say many words in this movie, uh, but he is foreboding. He is giant. He is strong. He is chiseled. He is oily. He is shiny. Um, and he's an amateur Russian boxer looking to make make his mark. He wants to fight an American champion. And Apollo is all too happy to uh, to to take him up on that challenge. And um, we know how that goes. But uh, yeah, so ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, you know, it's Rocky, Rocky revenge story. Um, America and Russia getting along. Um, it's more conceptual, I think, when you really kind of kind of narrow it down. But yeah, so Rocky four to me was, you know, it was it was just kind of that in that little kid brain, you can just go like good versus bad. But then as Rocky four tries to tries to tell you, it isn't really about good, good versus bad. It's if yous can like me and I can understand you and we can know each other and you know, whatever that, what a, what a weird way to end. Like, let's have, let's have Rocky say this to all of Russia. I came here tonight. And I didn't know what to expect. I seen, a lot of people hating me, and I didn't know what to feel about that, so I guess I didn't like you much, none either. During this fight, I've seen a lot of changing. The way you felt about me, and the way I felt about you. In here, there were two guys killing each other, but I guess that's better than 20 million. So what I was trying to say is that if I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on it, guys. I've got a lot of thoughts. What about you, Zach? When did you first see it? <laughs> well, I saw it in the theater when it uh, when it came out as well. I was nine. And, um, uh, you know, I don't, I feel like I probably saw one of the other Rocky movies prior. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I saw Rocky three prior. I had the little Remco action figures. They were like metal. Uh, I still have one. I still have the Rocky one from Rocky three. They released figures at that time. Um, Ertl, it was a Ertl one. It was the Ertl Rocky metal figure. I have that still. And then Remco released like those, it was the He-Man body, but they were, Rocky figure. So they had Apollo, they had Thunderlips, they had Clubber, and they had Rocky. Uh, I always wanted those, never had them. Um, but yeah, I was a big Eye of the Tiger kid. Um, and then Rocky Four comes out and it changed my life because it made me appreciate music and movies so much more and the connection and the importance of a great soundtrack. And we've said this before on the show, a great soundtrack can elevate a mediocre film and a terrible soundtrack can reduce or turn into rubble something that probably would have been good if it had a decent soundtrack this is a case where i think the movie itself is it's again so tight so much fun uh it moves so quickly you don't get a chance to get bored in this like kids would get i think in longer films perhaps yeah i was i probably watched this every winter it was like a Christmas movie for me at times, especially when it came out on VHS and wore the tape out for sure. I'm like, oh, I can own this now. Amazing. And had the vinyls, vinyl soundtrack and the cassette uh, and the CD 
and had all that stuff and was addicted to it. You know, Dustin, you talked about Rocky's speech at the end, and we can kind of jump all over the place. But watching that speech again, it is it, it's an interesting way to end the movie. But I was so I like got choked up when I watched it. And then when he says, you know, I love you to your son, like that resonated with me. It took me all the way back to when I was a little kid again. Um, there are so many moments in this film watching it now that I was reminded of like when I was a kid. Yeah, I wanted that robot just like everybody else did. I thought his son, the kid who plays his son was really cool. And I was slightly disappointed was when Rocky really five came cool? out. Well, I thought he was like a good, like a believable kid okay. is what I'm saying. One thing that really stood out to me was the, the hits that Rocky takes throughout. And I forgot how violently he got hit throughout this movie. And how, as an adult, watching it going, oh, man, that's really hard to watch. So much harder to watch now. As a kid, I didn't think about it. But now, knowing what we know about concussions and, you know, all that stuff, very intense. It's violent. (laughs) What a time. Derek, did you think the sun was really cool? (laughs) Hey. Well, once again... um, I don't know what I think, but in the director's <laughs> cut, I think he minimized the son quite a bit. So that tells you maybe what Sly was thinking about that kid. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like it. I don't know that there's a lot of value in taking something you made 40 years ago and recutting the story in in the way of like, you know, of course, you're going to have different perspectives. And of course, you know, it's like it's just different. It's different to make a director's cut so many years after the fact versus like you have two movies that come out now and the director's like, well, this is what I really wanted the movie to be. This is what the studio is making me do it. That's a different thing than, you know, yeah, 40 years. Let's go back in the, let's go back in the edit room and just make a new movie. Like that, of course it's going to be. And, and, you know, the interesting thing about that is it was during the pandemic. So slide just didn't have anything to do. Right. So MGM was like, Oh, you want to recut your film? Now's the time to do it. And so that's like, can you? <laughs> right. He's just—he never would have done this if there wasn't a global pandemic. Oh my god! Maybe, right. Of course. Isn't that crazy wow. to think about? I got nothing to do. I'll go recut Rocky Five or Rocky Four. Why not? So, wow. just, I mean, just a weird circumstance. But thank goodness John Hertzfeld recorded it. Um, you know the the whole process. And uh, again, if you don't want to watch it on, it was on Prime, but. If, you don't have the steel book that's fine too watch it on youtube it's pretty fascinating it's called the making of rocky versus drago very interesting stuff i have the steel book so i will be watching it there you go <laughs> well the, the youtube version is like 90 minutes and then uh mgm wanted the special features on the steel book to be like an hour so there's a good 30 minutes cut out of the mgm version and oh wow okay really neat is i got to edit both of those that was really cool um so like i worked for sly on the 90 minute i worked for mgm on the 60 minute so like it, it, i don't know it's just like a, a treat you know it's like oh my gosh yeah i'm like working on rocky four stuff this is wild that's so cool that's, that's amazing so mgm that's amazing. came to you and said we need this shorter yeah yeah so basically um it, sly hired me to do the original cut and he put it on youtube and to help promote the the movie itself that was coming out in theaters for one night only, uh, the the director's cut. So uh, did that, 
And about, I don't know, six months later, MGM wanted to put it on their upcoming uh, steelbook for the special features. So they hired me to cut it down to a, an hour version. Okay. So yeah, I got paid to do both. It was really awesome. Oh, that's cool. That is great. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a treat, I have to say. Did you find when you were editing the doc, were there moments where you're like, oh my God, I love this scene so much, or uh, this this brought back a flurry of emotion to me? Were there like specific scenes in Rocky Four that stand out to you as like a, a just a, a very, I don't know, memorable moment? Um, I would have to say like, uh, obviously I'm a Rocky One fanatic, uh, you know, and, but Rocky Four is like, I would say next in line because it's so fun and it's apples and oranges. What I pulled as a kid from Rocky Four and in editing that documentary was just the love of those montages, yeah. the music and everything. So like, you know, Hearts on Fire, the training montage by Vince DiCola, all of that stuff, like getting to work with that stuff myself, editing this documentary that was really, really cool. Like there's a moment, I don't want to give anything away, but where he talks about montage. So I got to take moments of the montage and edit it into what he was talking about. And I'm sitting there going like, no one knows this, you know, cause no one knows I'm doing this. It was a hidden or secret project. And I'm going, I am recutting Rocky Four stuff right now. This is amazing. So cool. So that was really fun to play with those montages. Absolutely. I mean, to this day, like you're feeling down, but on the Rocky Four training montages, you know. So, and there's like sound clips throughout. Even though the the speech is is, uh, you know, it's Rocky doing his thing and sounding punch drunk, which he clearly isn't at the end of the movie. Understandably so. Uh, something really, I don't know, warm about it, like uh, uplifting, you know, and and the whole like. If I can change, you can change. We all can change, and that whole speech. I just it just makes it gives me all the feels. But Dustin, what are your what are your thoughts about <laughs> what what are some scenes that stand out to you in Rocky Four? Uh, I w- I was wondering, Derek, if you, maybe you can speak to this because the um the use of uh of No Easy Way Out, which uh the scene in the movie in the theatrical cut, of course, is is that Rocky has sort of driven off in the car uh, to reflect on Apollo's death. But it becomes the longest flashback montage of the entire Rocky, you know, collection, really. It's the whole song, right, Dustin? It's the whole song. It's the whole song. And it's like, I'm flashing back to meeting, you know, I'm I'm Rocky in this scenario, right? Flashing back to meeting Adrian, (laughs) flashing back to... It's just everything in Rocky's life. And that's such an interesting choice. And But it seemed to me like a choice done so that I could fill enough space to play this whole song. And I was wondering if you knew anything about that. I'd be lying if I said I did, but you have a good point. I do know that he really loved the song and wanted it in the movie. So I guess, yeah, that's the question. Did he tailor make it that the montage for the song or did he already have the montage in his mind and wanted that song? I really don't know the answer to that, but that's a good one. I probably should find out, but that is, I mean, 
that's probably one of my favorite moments of the movie is the no easy way out montage because as you mentioned you get a recap of everything it's so emotional and it sounds cheesy to say that now but it's true like it's yeah. so emotional the song with those images i mean it's it's actually quite moving I know that Robert Tepper wears that song like a badge of honor. He's done it. He, he happily talks about it in interviews and such. Um, like he also happily talks about Into the Night that he co-produced or co-wrote with uh, Benny Mardrones, which is always interesting to me because I'm like, wow, you, okay, that's an interesting choice. Do you know that song, Into the Night? Um, I'd, I'd have to hear it. She's just 16 years old leave her alone they say because she's 16 leave her alone you're 35 year old man <laughs> i think i know that one yeah you know and it. you're you like do. yo yeah. and they both go on a record i guess to be like no no that you know it's it's fine they were we were we were like trying to you know it was harmless it was a next door neighbor it's all good and you're like whoa it's a little sus um but i mean i i, I love that song by the way into the night is a great song but I, hey, look, I like Winger, too, The but the, those are sus lyrics, too. She's only 17. Daddy says she's too young, but she's... No, it's a, it's a, it's a musically fine it's song. It's a musically fine song. Hey, it's, but a, it's, it's inappropriate. a ditty. No, Derek, we'll send you the video because uh, he sneaks into this girl's bedroom, you know, and they're like, they're like, you know, leave her alone. And then they do like a magic carpet ride, like a literal magic carpet ride. Uh, it's, it's really, really disturbing. It's really disturbing. I have to see this today. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, make sure you watch it. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that that montage reminded me of of my love of Mickey Burgess Meredith, but this movie reminded me of my love of Duke, played by Tony Burton, and how much I think Duke resonates with me more. Maybe because of my age when I saw this and. He has a different, obviously, he's a different style of of emoting than Burgess Meredith did. Um, like Tony Burton to me is kind of like the hidden gem in this film. Like maybe one of the highlights overall for me. What what do you guys what do you think about that? I I am pulling up right now Duke's quote unquote pep talk. Yeah. Taraki, which is like one of the darkest, heaviest, like, hey, no pressure, buddy. But it's something like, let me see here. It's, uh, uh, okay, you're going to have to, you know, 
You're going to have to do everything, almost everything alone, but I'll be with you. Okay, right, fine. We're with you. Right? They're in Russia, yep. by the way. They're in Russia, isolated. He's going to fight. He's going to fight uh, Drago. Apollo was like my son. I raised him. When he died, part of me died. But now you're the one. You're the one that's going to keep his spirit alive. You're the one that's going to make sure he didn't die for nothing. You'll have to go through hell, worse than any nightmare you ever dreamed. But in the end, I know you'll be the one standing. And, you know, Rocky's just like, I'll, I'll, I'll try. Uh, you know what you have to do. Do it. I know you're going to have to do almost everything alone up here. But you know I'll be with you. Yeah, I know. Apollo was like my son. I raised him. When he died, part of me died. But now, you're the one. You're the one that's going to keep his spirit alive. You're the one that's going to make sure that he didn't die for nothing. Now, you're going to have to go through hell. Worse than any nightmare that you ever dreamed. But in the end, I know you'll be the one standing. That's right. You know what you gotta do. Do it. Do it. The un kind of unsaid thing here is that Rocky didn't throw in the towel for on behalf of Apollo because Apollo said to him, "Right, don't do it." <laughs> right. Although we could argue that Apollo was already way concussed uh, at that point, and you know, uh, wasn't in his right mind. So like Rocky throws the towel, he saves Apollo's life. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of damage done already. But, you know, Duke's screaming at him, throwing the towel, throwing the towel, throwing the towel. But moments before Apollo has said, no matter what, no matter what, don't throw in the towel. No matter what happens, don't throw in the towel. So um, the subtext is that Rocky is responsible. There's a lot of guilt. I feel like this never really comes back in our final act. Uh, this kind of do it for Apollo. There's no mm. mention of Apollo. And that to me is disappointing. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I, I also, because I think it that the, the, the message changes and it is interesting how he talks about like he can change, but through the whole, the whole movie, there's this idea that boxers or men are going to do whatever they want to do like no matter what, even if you tell them it's dangerous, don't do it. They're, they're fighters. Keep doing it anyway. They're fighters. It's in their yeah. blood. That's what they do. And so instead of saying, keep, and, and instead of being like Adrian and being like, you know, you can't win, don't do it. They, they end up kind of Duke ends up becoming the message of like, well, you're going to do it and there's nothing I can do to stop you. So I'm going to keep reminding you that there's no pain. Just work through it. No pain, no pain. You're, you're fine. You're fine. Rub some dirt on it. You know, obviously he does it a lot more well-motivated than panicked, but it, it is it is a scary thought as an adult now watching it in our 40s um, or 30s, depending on where you are, or you're 40 forever, by the way. It's like like your documentary, Derek. You can just be 40 forever. Um, <laughs> I am I'm just, 40. How old so are you? I'm 40. I'm 40. Um, <laughs> you know, like you look at it now with a different lens and you go, yeah, that's really messed up. They're really like not enabling 
I guess enabling, right, Dustin? Is that enabling where you just like let the person well, continue to abuse themselves and not <laughs> not hold them absolutely. back? Absolutely. And what are we talking about when he says I can change and you can change? Like, what are we even talking about? How has he changed? What's changed? He, right, because we go into five, and basically at this point now, his brain is, you know, you know really uh, mush. It's not like he had views where like Russians are evil or anything like that, or like you know, if, if that's sort of what it's implying. Like, you know, I understand now we're all human beings, but that isn't even. There's no setup for that. It's not like Rocky's like, you know, I fucking hate Russians. He's just like, this guy killed my best friend. I feel responsible. I'm kind of involved. I'm the next in line. He doesn't even really think about it. Right? He's just like, all right, let's set up that fight and let's do it in Russia. Let's just do it in Russia. So there's no hesitancy really at all about. So I don't know what the change is in that speech, to be honest. No, and and this is another elephant in the room, too, that. Apollo kind of was asking for it. Like he, he egged on Drago. He, he punched the bull, you know, he kept poking it and the bull poked back. You know, something that drives me crazy when Apollo dies is the punch that Drago delivers. I think in the wide is not the same punch that delivers to his face. Yeah. It just drives me insane. It's a continuity jab in your, in your heart. It's yeah. Like, oh, it's yeah. not. Yeah. It's like, I know. Five year old, I was like, that's not the same pun. You know? <laughs> oh, really? You you knew that as a five year old? Oh, the first time that. I saw it, I was like, no. It, it's bothered me <laughs> since that grainy, snowy VHS tape. Oh, like, my yeah. God. That's amazing. Uh, no, I take it back. Take it back. That was the final fight. So it had to have been the first time I watched it straight through with my grandfather. So around the same era. But I was, no, that would have been seven. So I was about seven years old. Okay. Fair and it's enough. been bothering me since then. I'll put it that way. I'll I figured it. it out my opinion. Well, I, I think I think that's worth noting too. And 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 it doesn't take again, it does for me, it doesn't take anything away from my love of this movie. But there are a lot of moments, especially in the fight at the end, where you're like, Oh, that didn't land, but there but you heard the sound effect, you know. And it's I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. But it's more about just calling it out, being like, guys. It is not flawless. It is not flawless. There are moments in this film that are, are, you know, it's not a flawless film. However, it's thoroughly enjoyable to this day. Um, and then there's little things that I didn't pick up on, like Paulie, <laughs> Paulie with his comic books. And he's like, what does he say? You ever try these comics? Helps your fertility. And I'm like, whoa, I never oh <laughs> picked up God. on that back That's in the so day. Funny. <laughs> I want, I want to point out, you mentioned the punches not landing. I honestly do not remember if it made it into the making of Rocky versus Drago. I certainly, as the editor of that, saw this uh, numerous times. So forgive me. You know how sometimes you make something and you just don't remember what what's what how it came out. But Sly talks about uh, and points out, I remember, Remember, he gets up to the screen with his editor and he points out that didn't land, that didn't land, you know, and he like tries to take out punches that don't land. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't remember if it made it to either cut of the documentary, but I remember editing that of, or at least seeing that footage of him going, see how close that is? Didn't make it. Take it out. So he was very aware 35 years later. All right. That's that that's been bothering me all these years. Take it out. That's cool. That that's yeah. That is cool. Yeah. Just little things. Did you guys know speaking of the ending, did we talk about this last time? I don't remember if we did about uh Peter Cetera's song 
Uh, Glory you did. Of yeah. And it was supposed to be in, yeah. And I, I wanted I wanted to kind of segue a little bit into the soundtrack uh, because well, Gloria Love for anybody who's we not to cut off that thought if you aren't no, if no. you if you aren't privy to our last our last conversation go back the yeah. Gloria of Love that is featured in Karate Kid Part Two was originally going to be used in Rocky Four. Well, it was it was presented to Sly uh, and he turned it down. First dibs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if I remember correctly, so the music supervisor. I interviewed for another documentary and he told me the story kind of off camera that he heard Peter Cetera's song, took it to Sly and Sly turned it down and then it went to Karate Kid 2. So yeah, allegedly. Well, it, it, it's an interesting that you bring that up and I will reference our Cobra episode um, that we recorded earlier this year and where Sly was going to use the touch that was in Transformers the movie, but obviously that went to Transformers by Stan Bush, and he went with Voice of America's Sons by John Cafferty and Beaver Brown Band. Um, it's an interesting choice. Also shows how much pull Sly had, right? When we talk about like the Beverly Hills Cop, that he was originally going to play that, and it shows how powerful he was. I, I know a song choice is not that big of a deal maybe, but it is to me because I think that's iconic now with Karate Kid 2. It became iconic. What would have been if it had been in this? Because the soundtrack to Karate Kid 2, really, that's the main song overall for that soundtrack. This soundtrack, and we'll talk about all the different tracks, uh, it's it's one of those end could be an end-to-end burner where like you you really might not fast forward through any of the songs because they're all so good. Um, would glory of love been forgotten if it was on the soundtrack? Well, I think that it, well, first of all, I want to point out just a little tidbit that uh, you mentioned transformers, the movie, same music supervisor uh, that did Rocky four. So the Robin Garb and uh, Bill ring worked on that, but they, they did both of those films. So naturally that's funny. You mentioned that. Of course, uh, offering those songs because they worked on both. Right. I feel like Glory of Love is inseparable from Karate Kid 2. Like, oh, it, agree. It's so ingrained, like, uh, it, you know, it, it is what it is. And Hearts on Fire, which was played twice in Rocky Four, you know, during training montage and uh, at the end, is also ingrained in Rocky Four. So, Obviously, the choices that were made were the correct choices. It's just so interesting how, like, I can't separate them in my brain yeah. at all. You can't. No way. And and now I'm making the connection that John Cafferty has been featured in two of uh, Stallone's movies, Cobra and Rocky Four. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, Glory of Love is just such a slow, slower paced song. It doesn't it wouldn't. You can't put it over a training montage. You can't put it over a flashback. I mean, you, you no. could put it over a flashback montage, but it'd be very, it'd be it'd be very not not driven. There's no driving force, which you know, uh, Rocky is sort of driving his way to the end of this movie, um, forcefully. Where would you put it then, Dustin? Where would you put Gloria Love in Rocky? I wouldn't. If you I wouldn't had to? put it anywhere. I just I don't. Well, I think they wanted it for the ending. I think that really? they wanted it. And right, so yeah, they just, end credits. Hearts on fire again. 
if you can change and we can change, I can change, we can change. We did it all. I mean, that's probably the only place it could go. I guess if, if it was if it was a throwaway scene or a throwaway moment, it would be when they play Double or Nothing, the Kenny Loggins Gladys Knight song, when the robot rolls in with the voice change. I love that ballad, and that maybe feels like that's the only place that they have a ballad in the movie. Unless you consider One Way Street by Go West a ballad also. It's a ballad for the sake of a ballad, though. It's not like... Yes, totally agree. Yeah, it's not like, obviously, Karate Kid 2. It it, it makes a lot of sense. No, it has to be in Karate yeah. Kid 2. It has to. What, what if? Got, so you both haven't... So, Zach, you started the director's cut... Of Rocky IV, but you didn't finish, right? Yeah, no. I, I as I'm watching it, I'm like, I'm gonna watch the original again, and, and well, that's the, when I'm like, I'm not turning it off. <laughs> yeah, and, and rightfully so. The director's the cut has the, Peter Cetera. <laughs> <laughs> well, close. They actually pulled out Hearts on Fire at the end and put uh, uh, a never released, or at least a uh, um, on this soundtrack, a new Survivor song. Not new, new, but but at the end of the new Rocky IV. The director's cut. It's no longer Hearts on Fire. It's a Survivor song. When your faith is shaken, you start to break, and your heart can't find the words. Tossed upon the sand, I give you a man against the world. So, okay. and, it's, and it is kind of like a ballad in a way. So it's hard to explain. You have to, you have to watch it, but it's different. The director's cut has Madonna's "Get Into the Groove" at the end. It's very, <laughs> very strange. Just has, you just like Madonna at that time. And then the fat boys show up, it. and you're like, "What are the fat boys doing in Russia right now?" Is- right? You used to have a fat boys <laughs> tape back in the day, man. Oh gosh, I mean, the Disorderlies was uh, that was on the reg back in the day. I would watch that over and over again when it was on HBO. Um, I just want to go through some of the songs really quick. Uh, yay or nay on your thoughts of like, uh, would you keep it or would you not keep it? Uh, do you like it? Do you not like it? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, obviously, Eye of the Tiger opens the movie. guys are cool with that right yeah yeah and i'm friends with frankie sullivan who is the guitarist and songwriter for survivor so uh as we go through this list i do have a survivor song that i'm gonna give a a no on so frankie if you're listening i'm sorry interesting well okay Ooh, hot take um how about you dustin i mean does that feel like you would have kept it in no matter what i the tiger I mean, yeah, like, look, it's 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 the most established song from the Rocky franchise up to that point. So, 
you know, why not entice the audience with a little, uh, you know, you're previously on like, this is what, you know, we, we know that Vince DiCola, this was his first foray into the Rocky family. Right. So if you think about it, it's kind of like a literal passing of the baton in this movie where it's like, we know, you know, not, not that, not that he did the soundtrack, you know, or not that, that, that we're talking about the score, but like, we're talking about old soundtrack to new soundtrack previously on, this is what happened. Clever Lang. Eye of the Tiger, boom. You know, of course, like it's an established song associated specifically with Rocky. So yeah, no, and and I will bring up the score obviously because on the soundtrack itself, the score is featured on the soundtrack as well. So it's it is definitely worth noting, and I totally agree that it is a passing of the torch. Um, an interesting choice. Well, we'll get to that in a second too about an interesting uh, music cue that. Vince uses in the movie, but how about One Way Street by Go West when uh, when Rocky's washing his car and uh, his son is dancing with the robot? Well, he's actually polishing the robot. I, I I dig it. It's so eighties. I love Go West. So good. Me too. Yeah. What do you think about King of Wishful Thinking? <laughs> it's the greatest song ever. Whoa! Thank you. Whoa. I Thank love you. that song so much. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I know where you fit in. The, <laughs> I know where to file you, Derek. Um, no, I do. I I can't stand that song. I hate that song so much. So. Well, you're talking about King, King of Wishful Wish Thinking, thinking. But I, yes, no, I'm talking. No, I know. We I'm know this. Telling, yeah, Go I'm back to the Pretty Der- Woman. I'm telling Derek. I'm telling Derek. But see, we you know this up for it with your with your Sergeant Mahoney uh, in the background there. That if you know, this is from, yeah, like, Zach made this. Zach made Officer Mahoney. Love it at his, at his post. Big um, Mahoney. Some of Dustin's favorite presents are from me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but we're talking about One Way Street. Do you like One Way Street? Yeah, yeah. I think One Way Street is fine. It's actually, I kind of like. Um, this scene in particular, I'm most distracted by his sweater and how much I like it. So I was thinking about that. <laughs> I know it gets you for Christmas. And then also the kid, uh, standing on the, on the robot, you know, son is standing on the robot and then he's polishing the robot. And then we learn that the robot has a phone. She, she's also a landline in there, I guess. I don't, cause you can get it outside. Like, and that's, Why not? you know, a cool moment. So. Um, I like this song there and that it is a very 80s song. I'm not even paying attention to the song. And I like that. Like it doesn't, I'm not like drawn away. It's just like washing the car music. Yeah. The chord gets wrapped around. You remember that? The chord <laughs> yep. uh, on the yep. chord. It's, it's fantastic. It's good stuff. And, and what I like about it too is it's not a throwaway song in the scene. The song is uh, integral to the scene because at one point, he acknowledges the song and tells tells his son to turn it down, you know, because and so, you know, I, a lot of times in movies, a song will be playing in the background. It's not even acknowledged. I appreciate that he acknowledges it, even though it's not one of the strong. It, I think overall, it's not one of the stronger songs on the soundtrack, but I do still love it. Songs usually aren't acknowledged because they're not actually playing in real time. They're added after. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, you're right. I appreciate that it is, you know. Sure. 
Yeah. Uh, Double or Nothing by Kenny Loggins and Gladys Knight. That's playing when it's the big reveal when Pauly's, uh, you know, blow up doll. I'm sorry. Robot gets turned <laughs> into a woman. Um, he alters the voice. You guys like that song? Double or Nothing? Yeah. Again, I think it works. Yeah. I mean, so far we're doing pretty well. It, I think it works. It works. Yeah. Living in America comes up, obviously, in the fight scene, pr- prior to the fight scene of Apollo and Drago. But right before it, there's some cool music cues by Vince where it sounds like a horror film. Um, and it's very scary. It's reminiscent of what he used in Transformer when Unicron is revealed that, you know, and it, I love what I love about that is you identify that something bad's going to happen, but you just don't know what it is yet. But living in America, you know, uh, James Brown. good right guys you like it yeah i mean it's it's pure insanity and uh in in the best way possible i'll tell a quick anecdote um and i guess it's okay for me to say this publicly but uh someone that worked on the film told me that uh james wasn't gonna he wasn't happy and he wasn't gonna come perform and uh he was refusing unless a few things were his way. So the powers of B had to go and kind of kiss butt a little bit. And then James was like, all right, I'm good. And he basically had to go kiss the ring, so to speak. And he finally came down and performed. But can you imagine like he's there, everything's set and he's like, nope, not doing it. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That is wild and not surprising <laughs> for, you know, it's notorious that James was, I mean, he's a legendary performer, but he's also he's also a diva too. So, but know, you would <laughs> never know watching that movie that nope. he almost walked off. He turns it on. He yeah. turns it on. I, I did not know that Dan Hartman produced and co-wrote that song. Dan Hartman of "I Can Dream About You" fame. Another great song. That is Man, a great. Come song. on, maybe Dan Hartman was in the wings. He's like, I I can wear the outfit if you need me to. <laughs> Have right. you seen my video with Joyce Heiser from Just One of the Guys? It's pretty fire. I mean, I think. <laughs> You can't get more literal than America, (laughs) living in America. You need this kind of ridiculous show, this ridiculous, like it's a circus. It is an actual circus. And we see, you know, James Brown and all these women and flamingo girls. And then, you know, up in the rafters, Apollo's coming down. And and, And of course, the juxtaposition of like Drago's down below, He's he's in the actual ring and the ring is like rising up to meet this already <laughs> already in uh, session Vegas crowd. Uh, yeah. yeah. Rising up back on the street. Sorry. Had to do exactly. <laughs> uh, lunacy right. where you do sort of uh, relate. I mean, that's the moment where I'm relating with Drago there where I'm like, oh, God, 
Americans and this bullshit. Like, what is what is this? He's like, I just came to fight. He's getting a show, rightfully so, you know. And that's that's Apollo's thing too. He's he's a, he's a performer. He's a talker. He's a trash talker. He's a. Can we can we point out how odd it is to begin with that Drago's just standing in the middle of a ring that's going to rise up and it's all dark? Like, right. it's so yeah. weird. There's it, no entrance to the ring. He's just standing there. Right. Like what? Like what? What's going on above? Like before that happens, like are they, you know, are they have they made any announcements? Has the ring announcer is like, and now the opponent coming in? Like no one's really. It's very strange. It's it is very strange. very strange. No, I totally agree. This is interesting too because uh, Scotty Brothers kind of uh, Scotty Brothers produced this soundtrack overall. Uh, mixed history with certain artists that they worked with. It's similar to the the Go Go Boys, uh, Golan and, and Globus from Canon, I think, in their reputation with working with certain artists, where they're like, "I didn't get paid by those guys," or "I got you know, I got hardly any residuals for this uh, amazing track that I did." I feel like there's a documentary. If it hasn't been made about the Scotty Brothers, there needs to be a documentary about the Scotty Brothers because they produced so many great soundtracks in the '80s. Notably, the Eddie and the Cruisers, and of course, this one. But uh, no easy way out. Robert Tepper, we already talked about that. Derek, this is where you say I'm already doing a documentary on the Scotty Brothers in progress. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of teeing you up, but you're not. Are you? Are you going to do it? Are you doing a doc? I, 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 it's a wonderful thought. Let's get the budget going. Let's do this. I'll call MGM and see if they can give you some (laughs) some money. Derek, I, I don't know. Have you have you heard some stories about the Scotty brothers? We don't have to go into detail right now, but have you heard oh, yeah. some stories? Oh yeah, yep. I've heard some stories. Yep. Yeah, do a little digging, folks, and uh, it's it's worth it's worth your time and energy if you're a fan of the soundtracks that they put out. Okay, so we, now we come to "Burning Heart" by Survivor. Derek, your thoughts. This is where I have to say, uh, sorry, Frankie, but I just, I, this one gets me. I just, it's not that I don't like Burning Heart, but all the way from a kid until now, as soon as it starts, just that, whatever, I just can't yeah. get into it. It takes me out. It bothers me. It really, it's a very slow paced song. I, and it's, it's just like I love Survivor, and it, it, it just doesn't work for me. I hate to say that. I just it doesn't work for me. Do you think Modern. High on You would have been a better choice? <laughs> I, I mean, you know what's funny is I'm actually hopefully if it works out, we're putting High on You in one of my films. So oh, oh. that song is a banger, we'll dude! I love NDA, that song. So we don't. I mean, yeah, we'll have it, our it, audience sign NDAs. If it works out, that yeah. will. Uh, That's great. That what will, are What are Frankie's thoughts on Burning Heart? Is he a fan of that song? Oh, I'm sure he is. I, I don't know. We never talked okay. about it, and I feel bad even saying that. But for for the for Rocky Four, it just bothers me. I don't know. No, I mean, look, do I play that song regularly on my workout mix CD? Of course I do. But uh, which you guys can get if you sign up to our Patreon. Patreon.com/slash two dollar late fee. You can sign up to get a mix CD from Dustin and I, and we will put Burning Heart on there. 
Dustin, how about you? What 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 are your thoughts on Burning Heart? Burning Heart. I love Burning Heart. I uh, I really don't have any problems with this overall as a soundtrack. I think it's really really motivational all the way through and um you know we've talked a lot about soundtracks and what you know this was like the original like like workout mix soundtrack for me uh because i can yeah you know obviously hearts and fire really we'll get to that but it sets the stage right that's the one that's that's the one but like um yeah burning heart is burning heart is good in my opinion I want to save the best for last, in my opinion, but Sweetest Victory. plays in the credits at the end can be considered a throwaway song but I, I mean i still like it what do you guys think derek do you like that song yeah it's it is kind of a throwaway but when i work out to rocky four which we all work out to the soundtrack i just get burning heart but anyway yes uh i i do enjoy sweetest victory though you know it's just it's so motivating and just his the way he just screams these words like i can't <laughs> probably a bad way to describe it no, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun. It's fun. And wait, did I mess up earlier when I said Hearts on Fire plays twice? Doesn't that play in the credits and then Sweetest Victory? It does. Sweetest Victory? It, okay. does. it does. Sweetest Victory is at the end end. I was going to, I'm okay. holding on to Hearts on Fire for, yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. the very end. But I like Sweetest Victory. Yeah. How about you, Dustin? Do you like Swedish Victory? Is Swedish? No, I'm kidding. Oh, I used to say, I used to think he said Swedish Victory, just like. <laughs> uh. I like Swedish victory. I think uh, I like no, Swedish look, fish. It's like they all can't be. They all can't be, you know, the starting five. You know what I mean? Like they all like you need you right. need. Yeah, you need some throwaways in there. Um, it's a solid six man. It's right? fine. I don't remember it really. Like if we're talking about Rocky Four, it's I'm not. I'm never going to mention that in the conversation other outside of this podcast. You know who would? Our our good buddy Diallo loves Swedish victory. Swedish victory. It's a great story. Uh, <laughs> what a time! <laughs> but that's a good point, okay. though, Dustin. Like no. it really, it, unless you have the soundtrack, you don't think of that because no. you don't go all the way to the end credits to hear it. Most people, you no, know? no, yeah. I, I mean, I did. I was I was one of those you kids that of hung out at the end, and I still am. My son, fortunately, my son, I passed the baton over to him because he likes to sit through the credits. Because you won't let him leave. You're like, well, that, like, like we're, will not get we're a sit-through credits family. Everybody who worked on this is important. And he's like, Dad, I got to pee. And you're like, nope. No, yeah. you don't. I sit through as well. As a filmmaker, I feel like I'm obligated. Yeah. But growing up, it just I didn't know that song was on the soundtrack until I got the tape. Yes. Like the yes. Tape. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this, uh, you know, and, and as we start to wrap up with the soundtrack discussion, it's uh. It, it is one of the soundtracks from the eighties that doesn't disappoint. We've said on the, on the show before soundtracks that do disappoint uh, that omitted very important songs. This does not. However, 
I wished that the next song, Hearts on Fire by John Cafferty, would have included the extra, you know, tag on that Vince tags on to the end. Gonna gonna basically it's a it's a synth version of Gonna Fly Now. Um, and it is included on the orchestral version of uh, this soundtrack that Vince DiCola just put out not that long ago. And we raffled it off actually on our show on our fundraiser a few months back. And Peter Hackman, who note to note music, helped put that out, that soundtrack, which it it's really sounds great. Uh, it's not John Cafferty who sings it, but but the guy, the vocalist on that is really good. Hearts on Fire, I would say, is probably it's quintessential 80s is iconic. Derek, what do you think about Hearts on Fire? Best song on the soundtrack, in my opinion. I mean, you know, it's it's everything that you'd ever want from Rocky IV. It's Hearts on Fire. And with with that orchestral at the end when he's going up the mountain, like, it's just, it's 80s cheese, but in all the best ways possible. And then how it morphs into him, you know, at the top of the mountain, screaming Drago, like, you can't beat it. Best song on the soundtrack, in my opinion. Agreed. Dustin? Screaming Drago. I mean, yeah, it is It is totally... Um, this is the one thing that has resonated with me the most after all these years. It's one of the reasons why I still enjoy the movie, is Hearts on Fire. And I remember, like, you know, just loving this song for years and years and years. Finally, I feel like Family Guy used it one time, and I felt a little sad because I was like, oh, like it's become become mainstream in a way that, you know, it hadn't before. It was almost like this weird, disappointing, funny thing. But, um, you know, the idea of the choice to go uh, Burning Heart, Russian training montage, pause for breath, into Hearts and Fire Russian training montage is so funny. And I don't think I really realized that that's what had happened until this this latest viewing. I'm like, oh, there's literally two Russian training. Like, there's nothing in between. Yeah. I think I was surprised by that, too. I was like, wait, wasn't there supposed to be something in there? <laughs> yeah, it's nope. literally just he sees Adrian and she's like, I'll stand by you no matter what. He's like, no matter what. Like, no she gives him what. the motivation. Boom. No matter what. Like, it's just, yeah, crazy. Yep. She gives him that boost. She gives him that extra boost uh, of, of energy. I, I will say I do not believe for a second that uh, even though, you know, Adrian was there live, I don't believe for a second that the, that the son would be allowed to watch that, that match, uh, both for time difference and the fact that he had killed Uncle Apollo. Very valid point. Never thought of that. Never thought of that. it's again. It's a really hard scene. It's a really hard fight to watch. It really is as an adult now. That's my um, dad. Yeah, we know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're not nerds. Yeah, we're not we nerds, nerds. Dustin. <laughs> um, 
I kept thinking too about the relationship because Vince DiCola was on our show uh, in our first year. We we did a whole episode, our top uh, sport movie soundtrack episodes too. If you guys listening are <laughs> able to go all the way back to those first episodes because those were a lot of fun and our discussion with Vince about this movie was a lot of fun. His His behind the scenes interactions with Stallone and Brigitte Nielsen. And so knowing what Vince told us about in that interview, watching it now with Brigitte Nielsen, who is beautiful, by the way, like I was, I forgot how like stunning she is. And, uh, and, and knowing her relationship with Vin, obviously Stallone, they, they were together and I'm watching, you know, Adrian and I'm like, Oh, it's just an interesting dynamic. Now knowing the behind the scenes stuff, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I, it's, I don't really have a point to what I'm saying. It was just more of a stream of conscious thought. Like that's really wild. They're like together when they're making this movie. <laughs> I will say this one more thing about Vince DiCola's score, because on the soundtrack itself, Derek and I are they just have the you training. talk like a stream of conscious. <laughs> We're like, that's like anything. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's great. No, I mean, there's nothing more that's to add. Great. Right. Um, he's, he's got a couple pieces on the soundtrack itself. Uh, Vince does. They're beautiful. I think, you know, he, he oftentimes gets uh, and Peter Hackman, his manager, has brought this up. You know, there was there there was a time when he was like called the the montage guy. He was the, the the sports movie guy. Like, you know, that's what he gets hired for. He's so much more than that. He opened up a door to a particular genre of music that I think is, is super popular now with like synth wave and that synthesized soundtrack. John Carpenter obviously paved the way in many ways for his style. So did Alan Haworth, by the way. I should always mention that because Alan Haworth was integral to Carpenter elevating the the synth sound to his movies. Um, but Vince is like, I think he needs to continue to be cherished and 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 championed for the fact that he created this one memorable soundtrack. It's amazing. Well, in in training montage. Uh, that plays before Hearts on Fire is just it's just perfect you know it's if I remember correctly when I told you around 89-90 those that release of one through four that I would rent from the library with my grandfather and it showed the Rocky Five trailer before uh, the movie start started it would play training montage the 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 song okay. and that was in the trailer for rocky five or at least a teaser whatever it was and i remember getting so excited hearing that piece of music with rocky five images 
it just blew my seven-year-old mind. Mm -hmm. Right. It is, a, like you said, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of music. Very motivating. I mean, I guess if you're going to put the word montage in the name of the song, you are going to run the risk of being branded as a montage <laughs> music creator. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. But also, it's it's not like it's not like that's what he's no. It's not like that's all he was hired for, though. No, it's not. But but I think when when you bring up Vince DiCola, he's not held in the same regards that like a John Williams would be. However, I'm like, why not? Though you know, he's still a phenomenal composer. He doesn't have the resume that John Williams has on screen, but the guy's talented as heck. And like. I don't know. I just, I'm just glad that we continue to bring his name up and and he is, he's in the synth wave community. He's very well regarded. So, you know, yes. by, by true artists. got a few little fun facts about the end of the year we're recording this in november prior to thanksgiving but it's dropping in december so it's the holiday season and i've got some fun facts from late november and december of <laughs> uh 1985 now first of all i brought up in the last episode snuffleupagus name reveal uh, I also wanted to bring up that was, and I think I did in that episode, that this was the first appearance of Elmo in 1985, mm, yes. which is shocking to me, right? But in 1980, in December of 1985, Courtney Cox used the word period in a Tampax commercial. Does your life change once a month because of your period? Still using pads? Let me tell it to you straight. Tampax can change the way you feel about your period. Tampax tampons protect internally, so you feel cleaner. No pad can do that. Feeling cleaner is more comfortable. Plus, more women use Tampax than any other tampon or pad. Now that's something. Remember, there's a feeling with Tampax. It can actually change the way you feel about your period. It was the first time menstruation was referenced on television. I think that's worth noting. Can I say something? Please. <laughs> In one of the, I keep talking about recorded VHS tapes, but that's what we all grew up on. I distinctly remember that commercial being on a tape for whatever movie my mom probably probably some movie of the week that she left the commercials oh in God. i remember seeing that commercial not necessarily back then because i was two but like through the years of re-watching tapes i've seen that commercial i have it somewhere on a tape that's amazing that's crazy <laughs> i'm glad i brought it up there <laughs> oh yeah that is cool he's having a moment you're back you're back there <laughs> December, December of 85, uh, early December of 85, Bo Jackson won the Heisman Award. Bo Jackson, perhaps the greatest dual sport athlete of all time. What do you guys think? 100%. Yeah, I would say so. 
yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yeah. I just want to point out one more fun fact from 1985. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's not that fun, but it's just cheesy. Copacabana came out, the musical, the TV musical, featuring Barry Manilow based on his 1978 song. I think a song that made people want to either jump out a window or uh, never listen to the radio again. But it starred Annette O'Toole and Estelle Getty as well. <laughs> it was broadcast on CBS. You've heard the songs. You've thrilled to his performances. Now get up and dance with Barry Manilow. At the Copa, Copa Cabana. Don't miss Barry Manilow in his electrifying motion picture debut. Music and passion are always in fashion at the Copa Cabana. Zach, do you you love Copa Cabana as a song? I don't. I actually don't. But it it stood out to me. I'm like, man, they made a musical on that song? Shocking. Think about... All of those, again, made-for-television movies that are just forgotten about. I mean, There I are so many. Yeah. Well, Zach owns them all, so we never forget. No, I we don't. We never forget on this show. <laughs> uh, Derek, are you a fan of professional wrestling? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, of that era that I grew up in, so 80s and 90s. Not today, though. Of course. Okay. So, well, I'm glad that you said that first of all and clarified. Um, And and being in Texas, uh, are you familiar with world-class championship wrestling and the family, the Von Erichs? I cannot wait to see the movie that's coming out. And very, very much, I have to admit, uh, growing up in Texas, I didn't know about them um, at the time. It was, so I knew Kerry Von Erich as the Texas Tornado. That's when I've when he went to WWF. So I have to, Correct, admit, yeah. I did not know any of that was going on because how could I, I'm in East Texas. They were in Dallas. Now I'm like obsessed with that whole era of, of world-class. Yeah. Dustin and I um, went to the premiere of the iron claw in Dallas from this taping. It was a few weeks ago and it comes out later this month. It's a powerful film. It's hard to watch at times because it's a really tragic story, yet it's a story I think that needs to be told. Uh, I I bring that up because on Territory Marks later this month, we will be paying tribute to the Von Erichs. And then we have a special interview at the end of the month for Territory Marks with someone very closely connected to the Von Erich family who was not featured in the film, but should have been because he, again, was a huge part of world-class championship wrestling. Do you want to mention who that is? At this point, I mean, it's like in a week or something, so. No, you're you're right. David Manning, who is the the, the head referee in world-class championship wrestling uh, for the benchmark years of the 80s, uh, and who's a still, to this day, a close friend to Kevin Von Erich and their whole family. He's going to be joining Paul and I on the show to be interviewed and talk about his legacy with this company, because it's a story that needs to be told. A few things are omitted from the film. We won't give that away. Actually, if you go on social media, it's all out there. If you if you don't want to be spoiled, don't go on social media. But yeah, the Von Erich story is amazing. And we're going to continue to tell it this month on Territory Marks. Very so there cool. you go. And I saw that you guys were there at the premiere. I, I uh, obviously, I think that's really awesome. I didn't know, or I would have driven to come see you guys. But yeah, how far are you from Dallas? Uh, two and a half, three hours, something like that. Okay. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> see, okay, because I've got family in Texas too, and and I, I reach out to them. I'm like, how far are you from this? And they're like, yeah, about four hours. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, yeah. wait, 
that's a big deal to yeah. me. <laughs> so I wouldn't, we wouldn't have put you through that. No, 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 that's fine. I mean, we were literally in town for like eight hours. We like came in for the premiere and we were out. So, dude, and and Dustin, I don't know about you, but I, I don't think my body can do that anymore. <laughs> no, it was it was kind of brutal. It was kind of brutal the next day. We we were up at like five thirty in the morning to to get on, you know, going to bed at midnight. It was crazy. Wow. So <laughs> what a time! What a time! What a time. <laughs> Hey, but Derek, working on any projects currently or what's going on in the Derek Wayne Johnson universe? Wow. Uh, gosh. So I have uh, one project that I'm working on that I can't talk about, but... Uh, the the Scotty Brothers sound. The Scotty, Scotty <laughs> there Brothers you go. There you go. And uh, my film Bloodstreams, I've told you guys about, is kind of yes. sitting on a shelf, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the strikes and everything affected it, and um, we're hoping to release in 2024 now. Great. So, um, so that one's kind of backlogged. I have something new I'm working on. And, um, yeah, I just uh, – since I saw you guys last, I actually um, added a new career to my already existing film career. So now I'm also a film professor. So congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic, dude. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's good to give back and get into academia, but at the same time still make movies and it's a weird balance, but it's fun. It's very rewarding. As someone who did teach and then Dustin, you're a teacher too, a voice actor teacher. It's a great way to connect with people, share your craft, share your talent and yeah, like you said, give back. So bravo, man. That's awesome. That's Thank very you. cool. Thank you. It's fun. I, I did not realize how old I really am at 40, but working with 18 to 23-ish year olds, right. they love to make me feel old. Trust me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It happens. Oh, yeah. You're like a, like, because we've seen photos of you like out in the field with your students, right? Like you're, I feel like you're out, they're, they're obviously like renting gear from the school and doing like short films and you're sort of re it's real hands-on learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, actually I, referencing what you're talking about uh, every summer. Uh, the, the It's my alma mater, Stephen F. Austin state university. It's where I went to film school and they shoot a feature film every summer and they will hire a paid professional to come and oversee the film. Oh, okay. Just so happens that that's kind of how I got cool. back into this game is they hired me and it worked out so well and it, you know, it's right down the road. They were like, you know, you, you want to come back and teach. And so two summers in a row, I was like the paid professional overseeing their, uh, their movie feature film each summer. And also throughout the year, they shoot short films and, and whatnot. So it just kind of worked out. Like it started with, Hey, can you just come back and teach this movie? And, you know, it's like a badge of honor to be asked to come back. Because when I made my first feature, there was an alum that came in and, and did that. And then it just evolved into now I'm like a full-blown professor there. Very cool stuff. Um, but yeah, the students are great. Um, they're all excited for the Iron Claw. We've talked about it. So I was very impressed to hear that. Because they're, they're, that generation, they all are into A24. Like they are obsessed with A24 films, which I think is great. Yeah. I think yeah. that that's so good that they're they love those movies that A24 is putting out. It's nice to know that there's studios that still exist like A24. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
it, I think they just, they just put out great content. And, and so, yeah, there's a whole generation of up and comers that are obsessed with a 24. So that's very nice. And they haven't been around that long. A 24. No. Right. Yeah. 10 years or more. Maybe. Right. If that, maybe. Yeah. 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 And even if you're not a wrestling fan, uh, I, I personally recommend people go see it because it's just a, it's a, it's a fascinating story. Tragic story. Tragic, very tragic. Uh, but Derek, I, you know, it's it's a holiday time. Um, maybe you can join us for Tales from the Video Store later this month, perhaps. Talk about some video store stories. Are you kidding me? Like, if I would be offended if I don't get to do that. <laughs> okay, well, then we're having you on. Amazing. You've heard it here first, folks. If you go to <laughs> patreon.com slash $2 late fee, uh, you can sign up to listen to Tales from the Video Store. It's a fun show that we do. There's lots of great content on there. We highly recommend you go at least check it out. But Derek, it's the holidays. Uh, happy holidays to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We're grateful for you personally, to everybody listening. Show your gratitude in some way to someone in your life and tell them you're grateful for them because you never know what it will do to brighten their day. I guarantee you it'll at least put a sparkle in their eye. I will say, uh, first off, Derek, thank you so much for joining us. As always, Zach, thank you for those kind sentiments. Well, thank you guys for having me on again. Like, It's always a treat. This is my second time. Hope it's not the last. You guys are awesome. And uh, I actually told a buddy uh, this morning, I was texting with my friend Clint. I said, oh, I'm going on $2 late fee again. And he goes, oh, I love those guys. So uh, it's very you know. awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Clint. Thank you, Clint. Uh, to paraphrase Isai Morales and La Bamba, it's not your first, won't be your last. <laughs> and then Rishi. He should have been nominated. I have a whole thing on that. He should have been nominated oh, for that yeah. movie. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. He's so good. So good. Okay. Well, thank you, guys. Happy holidays. Same to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Happy holidays, Derek. I just want to say one thing to my kid who should be home sleeping. Merry Christmas, kid. You see what you got to just stop. Let it go.
I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.